And uh, today we're going to continue in our series, The Marvelous Teachings of Jesus, Luke chapter 9. Last week we looked at Luke chapter 6, that was our first message on this, and, but now we're turning to Luke chapter 9. The last one was a, a sermon that Jesus had given, or a, a, a summary of it. This is a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples about who he is and what it means to follow him. So let's listen to Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They, were, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. This is God's word. Back when I lived in Belfouche, South Dakota, a friend who I had made uh, decided that he was going to move there from North Dakota. And... Um, and I did not live in North Dakota. I lived in South Dakota. Everybody says, you're from North Dakota, right? So now he was from North Dakota, and he wanted to move to the south, to South Dakota. And he was really excited about that because he had friends there, and he, he was excited about this new place, warmer weather in South Dakota, and new opportunities. And so, but it was interesting. After a few months he had been there, he realized, you know, I'm really struggling here. Because I didn't realize how many people I knew in my previous town. He, he realized that, you know, when he came in and visited, his friends gave him attention for the days he was here. But when, but when he lived here, they had their own lives. And they weren't available all the time. And he realized a lot of his supports had been removed. And it was a really interesting perspective. Because it, it's helped me ever since. Just see how many different people we know that are part of that support group that give us a comfortable life. But he had had all that basically removed. He had promise of new things, but he was struggling. And in essence, in this passage, Jesus is calling us, telling us that a lot of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus is going to involve removing ourselves from these sorts of comforts. He's going to call us away from a lot of things that support us. So how can he do that? Well, that's what we're going to try and consider in this passage. First of all, we want to see who Jesus is, then what Jesus would do, what Jesus' followers would do, and then what blessing Jesus' followers receive. So the first thing that Jesus teaches is who he is. And you see that Jesus teaches by asking a question, a very important question. He asks them, who do the crowds say that I am? What are people saying about Jesus? Who is he? And you'll notice, if you go back in Luke chapter 9, 
that Herod had heard about Jesus, and he was perplexed because, verse 8, some were saying that Elijah, John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others, one of the prophets of long ago, had come back to life. And so here he says, the disciples say, in essence, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets long ago has come back to life. So they had heard what people were saying. But then Jesus asked them a more important question. Who do you say that I am? And there's really no more important question that we can ask than who do you say that Jesus is? Who, who is he? And Peter answered uh, and spoke up and he says, God's Messiah. God's Messiah. So what does that mean, a Messiah? Well, it's, it's also the same word as Christ. It's in Messiah. It comes from the Old Testament. It means one who was anointed, one who had oil poured on their head as a sign that they were going to be serving in a particular way as a king, priest, or prophet. And they, they would have this oil poured on their head, and that, that's where the word comes. It actually comes from that anointing, and they would be set aside to that task. And there were many Christs and Messiahs in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament's also looking forward to one Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, who would bring the fulfillment of history, who would bring in all that God wanted to accomplish, who would bring back things to where they were supposed to be, and who would deliver people from Satan, sin, and death. And that is what Peter understood when he said, you are the Christ, you are the one, and whom is the promise of salvation for the entire world. And you know, that's what their declaration was, but we have to decide what our declaration is. Do we agree with him that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ? Is this what I say about Jesus? It's still a good way to help other people think about this. I remember even as a young boy, I, I got this idea that we should ask people that. And I remember being in my neighborhood, playing with other kids, and I asked them, like, who do you say Jesus is? And they would say things like, he's like a John Wayne type figure or something else, you know, a, a good teacher. And I said, but, you know, he actually claimed to be the very son of God and savior of the world. How could a good man or a good person claim to be God himself and the savior of the world if he wasn't? And that didn't make sense. And the only really logical conclusion is that he is who he said he is. And that's what Peter realized, is that he is the Christ. And so it still is effective. I remember that even from my, from my young years of asking people. It's really simple. And it's a really good way to bring up the discussion. I encourage you to do what Jesus did. Who do you say that I am, that Jesus, or in our case, who Jesus is? Now, some of what they thought that meant, God's Messiah, probably was not as correct as it would be later. And one of the things they, they probably thought was that he was going to be a powerful earthly king who would defeat the Romans, who would restore Israel, be something like what, the way it was before. But Jesus was something much more than that. He was going to be the king over all the world. He was going to reign from heaven. He was going to, to overcome not just Rome, but Satan's sin and death. And so he, he wanted them not to be discouraged because things were not going to turn out exactly like they thought for God's Messiah. Now, if you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament tells us very clearly that the Messiah was going to suffer and then enter into his glory. And that's clear. We, we can see that now. 
But they didn't quite get that until it actually happened. So Jesus wanted to tell them this. So he says, he says, first of all, don't go around saying I'm the Messiah. Now, why would he say that? Because people had one idea of it, and he didn't want that to be stated until it became clear what he was going to do. And here's what he was going to do. First of all, he was going to go and he was going to suffer. Verse 22 said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. So this was what was going to happen. That was not what they were expecting. That was not what they were thinking. And so they, he wanted to warn them ahead of time so that they would be ready and that they would remember. But he also wanted to tell them something else. And, it's, and I think that they probably were not really listening to the last thing he said because it was very hard for them to get. And when it happened, they didn't believe it. It took them a while to get this. The last thing he says is that on the third day, he must be raised to life. So that's a rather shocking thing. He's going to be killed, and he's going to be raised to life. And so it's an amazing prediction, but it's even more amazing that he would pull it off. Remember the, the uh, illustration I gave from my, from my grandmother uh, on, on Easter Sunday, if you were here. What happened to her is she had an experience where... She, she was on the point of death many times, and she told me that at one point she was looking down on her body. And, and it was like the Lord was saying to her, your time is not done. You're going back. And so her, her body came back to life. Now that's relatively, that actually happens. People die momentarily, and then they come back to life, and there's lots of experience of it. It's very interesting actually to read about it. But it's totally different to say someone who's been dead, who's been, and then you have the funeral and they're in there in the casket, and then they be raised to life. Now that's not something that happens. But in the case of Jesus, he told them that that would happen, and that's what he actually did. And he was so convincing that that all of his disciples believed it, even in the face of facing persecution, loss of loss of family, loss of friends, and even their own lives. They believed that, and they held to that same testimony, showing that he really was the one who's proved it over and over again. And so that's the Jesus we're talking about. And Jesus, the one who declared that he would rise from the dead and who said he would suffer, says his disciples are going to suffer too. He said, you're going to follow my path. And he calls us to follow him, but he doesn't want us to have illusions about what it means to follow Jesus. It's not going to be all wild earthly success all the time. It's not going to be a life without problems. It's not going to be a life without sacrifice. It's not going to be a life without opposition. It's not going to be a life that is going to necessarily be easy, but it's still going to be good. And so he describes what this looks like. He describes, here's what it means to follow me. And so I want you to see five things really quickly that Jesus says the followers of Jesus will do. The first thing is that they deny themselves. And what this means is that they let go of themselves as the source and the direction of their life. That they say, I'm willing to let go of things if the Lord says let go of them. I'm willing to do what he wants me to do and I'm no longer going to be the director of my life. 
It will be the Lord who directs me. Now, if we were to say we were going to submit unconditionally to someone in this room and we would do everything that they said us to do, told us to do without any question, that would be a scary thing because as much as the, there are many good people in here in whom I have confidence and who are my dear friends, yet we all make mistakes and we all don't, we don't know what to do. And our advice could be bad. And we may not be the best people to always give counsel. But in the case of God himself and Jesus, who is the Son of God, come in the flesh, we can deny ourselves, we can give ourselves up to him unconditionally and know that wherever he leads us will be right, however difficult or problematic it may seem. And so that leads to the second thing. It involves what he says, taking up the cross. What we see is that... um, is that we recognize that when we have suffering and we have difficulties, well, first of all, that that's going to be part of the Christian life, but then we recognize that in some sense it's what God permits and even brings into our life in a certain sense without consenting to any evil that may be done to us, opposing that, but yet still using that for his glory and leading us away. And what we see is that um, God says that he has come, that he, through Jesus we have peace with God, we have joy, but we also have tribulation, but that is going to lead us to greater growth, to the best place we need to be. I was reading, one person has said that a lot of times suffering will bring us our story forward in a way that shalom or peace never would. And we know this from the, whoever has obtained the heights of human achievement They have generally gone through many challenges and difficulties. And Jesus is saying, with me it's the same way. To come to the place that I'm calling you to be as a human being, you're going to have to embrace some suffering, take up the cross. And we're going to have to say, we submit to the Lord. A great example of this is the Apostle Paul. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he often asked the Lord to remove what he called a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that is. And he asked the Lord repeatedly, and then the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you, and so that I can enable you to get through this. Just trust in me. I'm not going to remove it, but my grace is enough to help you move through it. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. So we can accept, even when things are difficult. We may mourn them. We're not saying that we embrace the suffering in and of itself, but we can embrace it as something that the Lord is using as a process in our life to bring us where he's called us to be. So we take up the cross. It's not the most popular teaching, but it's what the Lord Jesus says. But then it says, the third thing is that we follow Jesus. Now, the word disciple meant someone who was a student who would follow someone around. And in those days, they would literally walk around with their teacher. They would listen to them. They would learn what they said, and then they would try to put it into practice. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says that if anyone wants to follow him, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But obviously, we can't literally and physically follow Jesus around. So what do we, how do we do it? We do it through his word. We do it through listening to him, through being with his people, through seeking after Jesus, through seeking him in prayer. And in that way, we follow Jesus and letting him direct our lives. That's what it means. And so when we call people to come to Jesus, we're not just calling them to receive a baptism once and be done with it. We're not calling them to make simply a decision once that they, now I made a decision to leave it. We are calling them to be followers of Jesus. 
People are literally walking after him in their way of life. But then, fourth, they, are, they prepare for death. He says that anyone who wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And so there is a preparing to let go of the things that we have, even our life, if need be, in following Jesus. We submit to him, and we say we will do, follow him where he leads, even if it means to our death. We don't try to keep what we can't have, as we'll see here in a second. But then fifth, they confess Jesus. So we're not secret followers of Jesus. You know, we have to do this with wisdom. But we confess that we are followers of Jesus. It's not just what we believe in our heart, but it's what we say with our mouths. And uh, one of the things we had a privilege to hear on November, or, uh, September 4th is that uh, young man Titus Riemann came before the elders to profess his faith and because he wants to be baptized. And so at some point, we're going to go to the river and have a worship service and baptize him. And we're just still, we've had a little bit of trouble coordinating our calendars, but we're going to do it. It may be very cold, but we're still going to do it, and it'll still be a baptism of the Lord. But that's what he's saying, like, it was in my heart. He was in his heart, but he says, I want to confess that publicly, that I believe in Jesus. That is what the followers of Jesus do. Now, why the question might come, um, why in the world would then we follow Jesus if this is what it means to follow Jesus? It really doesn't, a lot of this doesn't sound that great, right? Denying ourselves, taking up our cross, being ready to die, that doesn't seem like something we want to do. So why would we, why would we do that? Well, First, I want to see why we, why we wouldn't do it. Just think, try and think about this a little bit more clearly before we see why we would. Some of the reasons why we wouldn't do it is because we're going to face opposition. If we say that we believe Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, it will, we will face opposition. In this land, we may not face physical persecution or we may not be put in prison or put to death. But in many parts of the world today, it, you can't, that can actually occur. Read the voice of the martyrs and see the stories that they tell of people who have suffered greatly for the sake of Jesus Christ in our own day. And so that can happen. But even if that doesn't happen, we can often face ridicule. We can often be seen as people who are out of touch or seen as people who are, are extremists who we want to have nothing to do with. So we can face persecution. Secondly, we have a lot of other things that would distract us. The riches and care of the world. Jesus says these are the thorns that choke out the life of the seed. Is the riches and cares of this world. And we live in a land where we have a lot of riches and a lot of cares. Whatever it is that you want to be interested in, whether it's music or tools or vacations or, or churches or theology or anything, it's like there's just an endless amount of stuff that you can get whether you want to fill your house with books, whether you want to fill your house with tools, whether you want to build a new house, there's just endless opportunities. And these are the sorts of things that distract us from what's really important. But it's the things that we often want. And to say we have to give them up for a variety of reasons, it can be difficult. We have to give up, in, in short, we have to give up some of the supports that we have that we rely on. People may not like us. 
We may have to leave family and home. We may have to give up some of the security that we have. We may have to say no to some things that we would enjoy or that might get us ahead in this world. We may have to let go of some of our enjoyments to devote ourselves to God as people. We may have to work a little less at getting ahead. It will cost us somewhere. If we're going to devote ourselves to following Jesus, it's going to cost us in a variety of places. So what do we say to all that? Well, remember that when we think of all these things we're talking about, all the values in the world, all the people that we may rely on, all the good things that we may enjoy, we can't keep them. People change. We move. We change. Others move. People move on. The things we rely on for our security come and go. Today we may have money. Tomorrow not. We may say, man, I'm set for retirement. But then all of a sudden you get very sick and the money starts flying out the door or your house burns down or some other, something else happens. You lose your job. Today you're rich. You may, tomorrow you may end up poor. We may run into debts. Our wealth is really fragile. We are, we are blessed to have considerable safety nets, but people could still get into a lot of trouble even in this land. But even on worse, if we try to hold on to these things at the expense of Christ and our own selves, what do we gain? As Jesus says pointedly, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Now, when we look at that, it's easy to say, yeah, that's obvious. Like, if you lose yourself, if you lose your soul, if you're lost in hell and separated from God forever, what good is it that you had A house filled with wonderful toys. Not good at all. But even this, we need to think, even on smaller things, that is this really what our life consists of? Is this really what life is about? It's really true. Whoever wants to make anything in the world their ultimate hope, security, or meaning will lose it. This is what Jesus says. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. In other words, anyone who tries to, to, to hold on to what they consider to be life, the things that they consider to be life, such as their, their wealth, the, their acceptance from other people, um, the things they find meaning in, all these things eventually fade away. They can't really satisfy us. We can't find people's acceptance of us come and go. And the minute we try to make someone's else acceptance of us the basis of our life, the minute we run into trouble. Because we can become obsessed with how they're relating to us. And we're highly reactive to everything that would indicate that they're moving away from us or upset or displeased with us. Because that's where we base our life. But if we base it on something different, then we can find our life. This is what Jesus says. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. If we give up our reliance on the things of this world and hold to them more loosely we will actually gain our life. If we set it on something stronger, on Christ as our real refuge, then everything else can be a blessing in its own place. But if we try to make the blessings of the Lord the ultimate blessing, then we will end up losing them in the end. The only real foundation of acceptance, hope, and security in life is in Christ himself. And that means that we may have to say no to some other things. But the good thing is if we lose them, then we know we have Christ and we ultimately have everything that they were all about anyways. We who give up these things 
will not fail to gain our life in the end. That's the promise of Jesus, is that what we are really looking for, the life as it truly is meant to be lived, is found in him. All these other things are good in their own place, but they can't satisfy us, and they come and go. Christ remains, Christ stays forever, and gives us everything that we need for this life and for the life to come. I've been following Christ from a young age, and I think about my life, maybe in the middle, I mean, if God gives me a normal life, and I think I have quite a ways to go in terms of continuing to follow Christ. And I just think these are things, by God's grace, I've been able to keep on the path. I mean, I've stumbled, I've failed, but he keeps calling me back. He's been faithful. But what this calls me to is to say, here at this point in my life, and really at every point in our life, I need to say, I need to recommit myself to following Jesus. To say, go back to, he's calling me back to say, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, in this you will gain your life. These are powerful words that Jesus gives to us. I need to recommit it daily to being following Jesus. And so I love this passage. It's a hard passage, but it's a passage that fits with life as it really is and not as we would imagine it to be. And so it's a glorious passage because it calls us to the true way of life, which is actually giving up our life so that we might gain it. So, my friends, let's hear the words of Jesus. Let's see who he is, and let's recommit ourselves again to following Jesus as the one who is our Savior and leader.